Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can head over to the YouTube channel every Wednesday to see the visual version or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts for the audio version every Tuesday. For today's case, we're going to be talking about the case of Noema Graeber. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Noema Graeber was born on November 10th, 1953 in Jalapa, Veracruz in Mexico. She was described growing up to be very loving to everyone she met. Ever since she was a kid, she's always really loved kids. Like, she's always had a very maternal nature about her, and it was her dream one day to not only have kids, but also work with children. But before she wanted to settle down and have kids, she did want to travel and see the world. So after high school, instead of going to college, she became a flight attendant for the Mexicana de Evisión Airlines. That's when Noema started to get very interested in not just, you know, being a flight attendant, but also flying the planes. And this was back in like the 1960s and 70s where women weren't really pilots. So when Noema was trying to get her pilot license, it definitely wasn't easy. She decided to just save up all of her money that she got from being a flight attendant and she paid her own way through flight school and became became one of the very first women in all of Mexico to be licensed to fly passenger jets. This was a huge deal because, as I said, this was back in like the 70s where women weren't really, you know, pilots. It's a very male-dominated field even to this day. And so the fact that she was really just paving the way for all other women to also become pilots. From the videos and articles that I've seen online, Noema was incredible. Like, you could literally make a movie or a book about her life. Even though being a woman in aviation is tough, she kept her head high and had this very warm, loving, maternal energy about her that just made everyone feel safe and heard in her presence. And when Noema was a teenager, she actually had a crush on this guy named Paul Graber, and Paul actually had a crush on her, but nothing really came of this, you know, love. Uh, Paul moved from Mexico to America, and the both of them just lost contact. But 11 years later, Paul randomly has a layover in Mexico and decides to contact Noema just to ask, you know, if she wants to get something to eat and catch up. And coincidentally, Noema actually had the day off that day. So the two of them met and this meeting changed absolutely everything. They spent the entire day together. They started talking more and more. They exchanged phone numbers and would talk on the phone every night. They would send letters to each other. And as the relationship pursued, that's when Paul decided to just pack up all of his things and move to Mexico City to be with Noema. And on October 4th of 1986, when Noema was 33 years old, the couple got married. Not only at this time was Noema a flight attendant and licensed to fly passenger jets, she was also a foreign business consultant in Mexico City. So basically, if there was like a business from outside of Mexico that wanted to builds their business in Mexico, that's where she would step in and she would make sure that they are aware of all of like the rules and regulations that the country has to build a business, making sure that all of their paperwork is filed, providing translations, and just basically helping people make their dream businesses come true. And then in 1991, at the age of 38 years old, that is when Noema would give birth to her very first son, Christian. And then the following year in 1992, that is when Noema 
Noema and Paul would have their second son named Jared when Noema was 39 years old and at this point they decided to make the big decision to pack up all of their things and leave Mexico and move to Fairfield, Iowa. As I said, they were living in Mexico City and whenever you're living in a big city area, it's always a very kind of dangerous place to raise children. It just overall has very high crime rates and this is an environment that Paul and Noema didn't want to raise their kids in so they decided to pack up all their things and move to Fairfield, Iowa and that is actually where Paul grew up. And Fairfield from what I could see is the perfect little homey town. It kind of reminds me of Stars Hollow in Gilmore Girls because there's cute little shops, there's good schools and restaurants and it's not really a touristy town so it's usually quiet all the time and everyone knew each other. That is when Noema would have her third and last child, a daughter named Noema Marie. It was here where Noema and the family began attending church at the St. Mary's Catholic Church and attended mass daily. Noema was also a very prominent person in her church. She would later become a community leader for the church. So she not only gave back to the community, but she also gave back to the church as well. In the mid-2000s, in her 50s, that is when Noema decided to strive for her college degree. And this, again, is a very big leap because usually people after 30 years old, they think that it's too late for them to go to college, that they, you know, can't do something like that. But as you have seen from the beginning, Noema, when she wants something, she gets it. And so even though she was in her 50s, that did not shy her away. And she actually attended the Iowa Wesleyan University in Mount Pleasant and got her degree in English and a teaching certificate. With this degree, she ended up taking a part-time job as a Spanish teacher at the Fairfield High School, but later became a full-time because she was just that good at her job. When she was working part-time, she was more of like a substitute teacher and the kids would describe her to be as like that one substitute teacher that when you walk in the room and you see that they're substituting, you already know it's going to be a good day. Like Noema was one of the more memorable substitutes and so when she took on the full-time position, the kids absolutely loved her. But although she was a very fun teacher to have, Noema did not play games when it came to missing assignments or tardies. She was very educationally strict on her students and that's just because she had a lot of high hopes for her students, but her students didn't hold this against her at all. They described her to just be full of love and light and no matter if it was a good day or a bad day, Noema always had a good attitude and kept a smile on her face all the time. One of the students even said, quote, Mrs. Graber didn't have friends. She added people to her family. And her son Christian later on actually said that he found a notebook on his mom's desk that read that she vowed to smile every single day and she would smile to anyone that she walked by because she said that smiling is contagious and she just wanted to be a good role model for the children. And if her students didn't remember her or her class, she hopes that they at least remember to smile. Then in 2016, that is when Noema and Paul unfortunately got into a divorce when Noema was 63 years old. But although they were divorced, Paul still kept close to Noema and visited his kids frequently. And on November 2nd of 2021, the day started out per usual. Noema got ready. She went to work. She went to school. She was supposed to return home after school, but it ended up getting later and later and Noema ended up never returning home from work that day. Noema's kids and Paul say that it wasn't that concerning at first that she was late from like coming home from school because frequently Noema 
grandma would stay after school with kids that needed extra help. I wanted to take like any retakes or any extra help. She would be completely happy to just stay after school with them. So the fact that she didn't come home from school right away wasn't too concerning. They were just assuming that she was helping out a student, but it ended up getting later and later and there was still no sign of Noema. At this point, they started to call Noema to which it just always went straight to voicemail, meaning that her phone was either dead or it was completely off. So Paul decided to call the police and report Noema missing. The police to this call responded very, very quickly to the report and began questioning the students the exact same day and next day. They were trying to find Noema's car because Noema's car was no longer in the school parking lot. They were trying to find signs of her. They were trying to find security footage, some eyewitnesses. And then that is when one of the teachers actually mentioned that every day after school, Noema would take a walk around a park that was like down the street from the school because she said after a long day of school, you know, teaching her students all day, she just wants to breathe and be in nature and take a quiet walk. And so she would do that every single day. And so the police reported to that area. The police were searching through the wooded area near the high school and that is unfortunately where they find the body of 68-year-old Noema Graber in Chatakua Park and was hidden under a tarp railroad ties, and a wheelbarrow. Body was brought into autopsy and found that her cause of death was to be inflicted trauma to the head. They also found wounds on her body to be wounds from one or multiple baseball bats. So clearly this was an attack. This was a murder. And so now the police are looking at a murder case and not a missing person's case. So they start interviewing more and more students. And that is when one of the students that was being questioned mentioned that on the day Noema went missing, he overheard an argument between Noema and a fellow student named Willard Miller. Apparently, what he told the police is that the argument that Willard and Noema had was over a bad grade that Noema had given Willard, which this then affected his GPA to drop. Willard's mom was also questioned. She said that her son did indeed have Noema for his sophomore year Spanish and was really struggling to pass Noema's class. Scaringly, even more class when asked specifically about Willard, they said that Willard would often speak not murderously but aggressively about Noema and her class, saying that he's never gotten bad grades before until her class. So the police are hearing this name Willard come up a lot and they also know that there was some sort of argument. So that is when the police go over to Willard's house to bring Willard into the station for questioning. And the police said that they were surprised at Willard's demeanor. He was very very calm and collected and talked about Noema. He confessed that he did become frustrated with Noema because he didn't like the way she taught her class and even called her a quote asshole. He would then further say that Noema would purposely and maliciously give out bad grades to people just to lower their GPA. But this point was later proven wrong when asked all the other students in Noema's class and all of them said that they never really had an issue with their GPA dropping. Yes, it it was a very educationally challenging class, but 
it was nothing that was, you know, over the top or just unreasonable. Then after two hours of interrogating, that is when the police finally get somewhat of a confession out of Willard. He then admits to being present during the murder of Noema and knows exactly what happened to her, but he blamed everything on a masked group of kids who forced him to get a wheelbarrow from his house and wheel Noema's body to the woods and then get in Noema's car and abandon it. And even if this story was true, technically Willard just said that he was an accomplice to the crime with wheelbarrowing Noema's body as well as stealing her car. And then on November 5th of 2021, the police arrested two young kids, Willard Miller and another kid by the name of Jeremy Goodale, who was believed to have helped Willard in the murder of Noema Graber. And so you're probably thinking, who is this Jeremy? You know, he came out of nowhere. So what led the police to arrest these boys was because of a notebook that the police had found that the two boys had made that went into great detail about Noema and her life and her routine. And it was revealed that months prior to Noema's murder, the two boys had been tracking her, basically following her around every single day. They noted the type of activity she did, what car she drove, what time she went home, what time she came to work. So once the boys noticed that every single day Noema would take a long walk around this park right down the street from the school, they decided to use this to their advantage. So then on November 2nd, that is when the boys followed Noema Graber as she took her daily walk and the boys ran up to her and started beating her with a baseball bat. When she was down on the ground, they then dragged her body to the woods just to beat her more before leaving her body there until later on that night when they returned to cover her body with a tarp, railroad ties, and a wheelbarrow. Some witnesses say that they saw Noema's Honda van parked in the parking lot around 4 p.m. and then they saw that same exact van leaving around 4.42 p.m. but it was not driven by Noema and instead it was driven by two young boys. Now as I said, Fairfield is a very small town where everybody knows everybody so tracking Noema's car really wasn't that hard. Everybody knew Noema. Everybody knew what car she drove. Police received another statement from a citizen saying that they saw two white males walking alongside a specific road at around 5 30 p.m. kind of looking very disheveled. They had dirt all over them and they were looking around as if they were trying to look for someone. The police reported to this road where the boys were found. That is when they found Noema's car abandoned half a mile away from where the boys were seen. The two boys were believed to be Jeremy Goodale and Willard Miller because Jeremy and Willard's friend reported to the police saying that at 5 p.m. on November 2nd, the day that Noema went missing, Jeremy had called him and asked him if he could pick him up in the middle Glasgow Road and he was with his friend Willard. This friend then picked up Willard and Jeremy and he said that they seemed to be fine but their clothes were very dirty and disheveled. The friend also gave a very detailed description of the clothes that specifically Jeremy was wearing and so the police got a search warrant for Jeremy's home and they found the same exact clothes that the friend was talking about and when they took a closer look at the clothes they found that there was actually blood stains on them. As the police started to investigate more of the house they found bath towels with blood on them, strands of hair on the towels, and two baseball bats also with blood 
on them. It was also another student that came forward with screenshots and showed these screenshots to the police where it was like a Snapchat group chat and Jeremy was discussing the details of how Noema was killed the day after she went missing. And this was prior to any news reports coming out. This was prior to the police finding out. So it was clear that Jeremy knew some information that he shouldn't have. To make matters worse, he fully just went into unreasonable detail. He discussed how Noema passed away, the location of her body, and how the body was concealed, as well as other very concerning pieces of evidence. That day, both boys were arrested and charged with a first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit a forcible felony, and both were tried as adults. But for those who don't know, in the state of Iowa, their laws state that juveniles must be given an opportunity for parole and not just life without parole. And at first, the boys were going to be tried together, but Jeremy's attorney argued that Jeremy was not the ringleader and it was mostly Willard. So now that we're getting closer to the trial, you're going to start to see the blame game. Jeremy is blaming Willard for the whole thing. Willard is blaming Jeremy for the whole thing. Hey guys, don't worry, it's still me, just in sponsorship mode, thanking the sponsor of today's episode, ZocDoc. Now, personally, I am afraid of doctors, not because of like the actual environment. I just feel like sometimes being at a doctor's office is so intimidating and also trying to find a doctor and not just find a doctor, but find a doctor that takes your health insurance is even more frustrating, where sometimes I just kind of feel like resorting to my group chats and just being like, hey, what does this mean? mean, but you don't really get much medical advice in your group chat. But thanks to ZocDoc, all those problems are gone. Thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc are there to help you. They listen like a friend and give you the expert care you need. There are better ways to get the answers you want and the care that you deserve from trusted professionals and not just random people on the internet. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience you want. When someone is extremely good at what they do, it could be a waiter, a chef, or a doctor, you know you're in good hands. On ZocDoc, finding the doctor that is right for you is seamless, and the quality care you need is just a few taps away in the ZocDoc app. There's nothing worse than getting to a doctor's appointment expecting to be the center of attention, and then your doctor seems like they are having other things to do and better places to be, but instead of listening to you and asking you how you feel and helping you along, the doctor is just checking the clock. But on ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors with patient reviewed and take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you are not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Using the free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with just a few taps on their app and start feeling better with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com behind and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That is ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash behind, ZocDoc.com slash behind. And thank you to ZocDoc 
Doc for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to your episode. As far as Jeremy's story goes, he claims that it was Willard who made the statements that convinced Jeremy to follow through with everything, and basically just saying that Willard had manipulated him into doing this thing for him because Willard and Noema had gotten into an argument the day before. Willard's team also argued that the police had questioned Willard without the presence of an adult, even though he was a minor, as well as pressuring him to sign a form to waive his Miranda rights. Jeremy's lawyer to this statement saying that Willard was, you know, very scared. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just being pressured to confess. Jeremy's lawyer argued this and said, quote, nor did the defendant appear uncomfortable or under pressure when he signed the waiver. He wrote, the defendant's demeanor was casual and he was provided with ample donuts and water and he seemed more concerned with the lack of deodorant available to him than the interview subject matter. Now we are at the trial, I think. This isn't even a real trial. And when I tell you this, it's it's actually frustrating. So Jeremy's trial was set for December 5th, 2021, and Willard's trial was going to be August 21st, 2022, the following year. Both boys were set for a $1 million cash bond, and both boys also pled not guilty, again, still blaming each other. But before their trial dates had come up, the boys had a hearing to argue their cases and concerns in attempt to delay their trial dates or postpone them. And unfortunately, Jeremy's trial was postponed because his lawyer lawyer said, quote, we have a recognition that we have more work to do and we didn't want to wait until we got right up to the date of the trial before starting to look realistically at our timelines. And in my opinion, that's kind of a bold statement coming from someone who literally wrote in a Snapchat group chat the intense and graphic details of a murder that he just didn't commit. Willard's team, however, since Willard was also pleading not guilty, he argued similar to what Jeremy was arguing, but he said that he was spoken to without an adult when he was interrogated and he was being unfairly treated. And due to Willard's mistreatment, Willard also requested a Frank's hearing. Now, if you guys don't know what a Frank's hearing is, it's basically a hearing to determine if the police lied or not to obtain a search warrant. They had a search warrant for his home and they confiscated both his phone and his computer. And if this Frank's hearing did follow through and it turns out that the police did lie, this could be a very big shift in the case because that means all of the evidence that they found on his phone and computer could be tossed out. They also argue that since in the Snapchat conversation, like the group chat that Jeremy was talking in, he never explicitly said Willard's name. He just mentioned that there was another party involved, but they assumed it was Willard because that friend picked both Willard and Jeremy up off the side of the road. And so the police are just kind of connecting the dots and assuming this other boy is obviously Willard. But Willard's team tries to still argue and say that since Willard's name was never mentioned, that they were basically just making claims that were not supported by facts. And they even went on to say, quote, it is clear that when viewing the information from both the interview and the Snapchat that, quote unquote, he in the Snapchat is Willard. There is no other valid non-speculative claim that it is anyone other than Willard. Not only was Willard saying that he was being unfairly treated by police, but Willard's mother also came forward and tried to help Willard and said that the police weren't being fair to her. Willard's mom said that on 
November 4th of 2021 at 5.30 a.m., police knocked on her door and asked if Willard could come to the station to answer a couple questions about Noema, but Willard's mom says that she was never informed that he was considered a suspect and even said, quote, what I was told was that all of the students and parents of Noema Graber were being rounded up to try and figure out what happened, why she disappeared. I understood that all of the students were together and the parents were there and that they wanted to be able to talk to the students and they needed my permission to be able to talk to the students. And Willard's mom would even further say, now this, in my opinion, is a little wild. She told police that she rushed out of her home to follow her son to the station and when she got there, she was given a form to sign, but since she had rushed out of the house, he ended up grabbing the wrong pair of glasses and asked one of the officers to paraphrase it for her because she couldn't read it herself and when the officer paraphrased it for her she ended up signing it but what she was signing was a paper that basically gave the police permission to interview her son and Willard's mother also says that there were many many times where the police had denied her permission to see her son as well. Now why I think that's a wild story is because if you don't know what you are signing, do not sign that thing. Go home, get your glasses, like get a magnifying glass, get something. Do not put your name on something, especially if you are in a very professional setting like a police department or a hospital. She said that while she was in the police station at the time, she was not aware that Noema was dead and if she would have known that her son was being treated as a suspect, she wouldn't have let him speak without a lawyer. After hours went by and the police were still talking to her son, that's when Willard tried to get access to her son to try to talk to him, but she was denied multiple times to see her son. And at 7.15 a.m., she called a friend of hers who was a former police detective and basically just told him the whole situation of what was going on. And he was like, yeah, no, get Willard out of there. There is no reason that he as a 16 year old should be getting interrogated by the police for hours without a lawyer or without a parent and so Willard's mom went straight to the lead DCI agent whose name was Trent Valletta and basically told him to stop stop with the interrogation no more questions we're going home and from Willard's mom she said that Trent told her okay we'll stop the investigation but another detective would say that the interview ended up continuing anyways for another two hours. Another agent by the name of Ryan Kedley testified and said the police actually did make a good effort to inform Willard's mother about what was happening and even if they didn't, Willard had waived his Miranda rights so technically they didn't need any permission. In the state of Iowa, there's also a law that states they are free to approach and question any child who may have witnessed or have been a victim of a crime without a parent permission, but if the child's parent is present with the child at the time of the police approaching them, the parent does have the option to deny their child from being interviewed. And since when Willard was approached, his mother was there, she again had the choice to deny her child from being interviewed. But it's just difficult because she wasn't informed of what he was being interviewed on and that he was being interviewed as a suspect. And 
Willard's mom tried to argue that the police were probably just telling her, you know, all of these things about how they were interviewing all the students because they wanted to interview Willard. Police knew that if they just walked up to Willard's house and said, hey, your son is, you know, a suspect of a murder that just happened, we need to interview him, his mom would obviously deny access and the police would get nowhere in finding justice for Noemma. Willard was able to successfully postpone his trial date and his new trial date is set for March 20th, 2023. So like literally in three weeks if you're listening to this when it comes out. And Willard's lawyer actually attempted this year on January 27th of 2023 to postpone his March 20th trial date again. This is again another part in the story where I just sit back and I'm like, what did I just read? The courts had put out a statement saying, quote, Millard appeared in a virtual hearing Friday afternoon with his defense lawyer, Christine Branstad. She and Willard asked the court to delay the trial to give her more time to work on evidence and continue dispositions. Judge Sean Showers recently denied their request to throw out some evidence and some statements when the police were interrogating Willard in the days following Graber's death. Willard and Fairfield High School classmates Jeremy Goodale are accused of brutally beating Graber to death with a baseball bat in early November 2021. Branstad, who is Willard's lawyer, also mentioned in court documents that she has a, quote, unanticipatedly busy schedule in January and March and hopes to push the trial back to July, August, or October. So, essentially, wanted to postpone the trial because she's busy. (laughs) Isn't that your job, you know? So, she's basically saying that a family can't get closure for their dead mother, their dead sister, their dead friend, their dead teacher because you're booked for quarter one. Like, what? So, obviously, the judge denied the request to postpone the trial date because that is a crazy reasoning as a lawyer. And during this hearing, they also requested to postpone and throw out some evidence, evidence being the snap conversations because apparently since Willard's name was never in the snap conversations, there's no real proof that Willard was the person Jeremy was talking about and even said, quote, the court finds that the defendant has not carried his burden to make a substantial preliminary showing that false statements were included in the search warrant. Court further finds a substantial basis to conclude that probable cause existed justifying the insurances of the search warrants in this case and that warrants were not overboard, lacking of nexus, or otherwise without authority. So, to sum that up, the court said, that's a wild reason. No, we're not throwing out evidence. We're not postponing everything. And the judge himself even said, quote, it would be an astoundingly mythical legal stretch to classify starting this jury trial in approximately two months, which has been scheduled for five months as an injustice. On the record presented, the defendant has failed to show good and compelling cause that the motion to continue March 2nd, 2023 jury trial is hereby denied. His request to post postpone his trial was denied and Willard's trial is still on March 22nd, 2023 and Jeremy's trial also got pushed back and his new date is set for May 15th, 2023. So, Willard's trial is this month while Jeremy's trial is in two months. I don't really know what's going to come of the two trials. They're coming up soon and I don't think the judge is going to postpone them again. He has denied on both sides uh, their request to postpone 
postpone it even more. And I'm actually a little nervous to see how this plays out. It's very, very obvious that the boys had murdered Noema, but it also is going to be a little nerve-wracking because the police did technically have Willard sign away his Miranda rights in order to interrogate him without a lawyer or a parent present. So because the police were kind of doing all of this shady stuff, it's very unpredictable what's going to happen, what's going to go, what's going to stay. But as far as the aftermath of all of this, Noema Marie, Noema's daughter, posted a beautiful tribute on Facebook to her mom saying, quote, it is all thanks to her for instilling a love of travel and languages that my brothers and I have continued to experience the world throughout our lives. We had the wonderful fortune of growing up in a home filled with such an abundance of warmth and love. I will miss her loud laugh and dancing with her to any music that was playing. She had so much joy in her eyes and such a deep sense of faith. At the park that Noema would walk at every day, there's actually a bench with her name on it in her memory. It's also been about a year and a half since everything happened and Christian, Noema's son, actually put out a statement saying, quote, I forgive them and feel sorry that they had anger in their hearts. There's no point in being angry at them. My mother was an angel of a woman and one of the kindest souls. And I just think that is so powerful. Nothing will bring back Noema, but ensuring that these boys are locked up for their crimes and they're getting the consequences of these crimes, that is truly the most that you can do. Being angry at them will only hurt you. It won't hurt them whatsoever. Some state prosecutors in reaction to the um, both sides of like Willard and Jeremy trying to postpone their dates, the state prosecutor said, quote, it has been more than a year since the crime. The family deserves closure and they fear they might lose some witness testimony if it is pushed back into the fall. Jefferson County attorney Chauncey Molding says many of their witnesses are high school seniors. They will graduate and they could be attending their first semester of college in the fall making it harder for them to appear in court. The trial has been scheduled to take place at the Pottawanamie County Courthouse in Council Bluffs, nearly a four-hour drive from Fairfield. So the family is also struggling right now trying to ensure that these trials are being done as soon as possible because they are losing some of their witnesses, but both sides seem to just be procrastinating essentially just trying every single angle to just not do their job, I'm assuming, because as I said, Willard's lawyer literally admitted that she does not want to work on the case because she's too busy. That is the end of today's case. As I said, the trials are scheduled for March and May, so we won't really know the conclusion of it until then. Yeah, that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe, and if you want to follow me on any of my socials like my Instagram that will be linked down below as well as my PO box if you want to send me anything and as well as well all of the research that I use for this video as well so if I mention you know an article or a documentary or just anything in general all of that will be linked down below of the YouTube video. As for my own thoughts and opinions I don't really have much I just hope the same thing as you I hope that Noema gets justice I hope that they are given the 
the consequences of their actions and I hope they just tell the truth honestly. The family deserves closure. The family deserves to learn the true story. In this case in particular, I found very inspiring through Noema's story. Like the life that she lived. As I said, you can make a movie or a book out of the life that she lived. It seemed like she was just living her life to the fullest until the day that she passed away. Like she got her college degree at 50 years old. That's something that not that many people do, but Noema did it because she set her mind to it. And I think that's so, so inspirational. And I feel like we should remember who Noema was on earth rather than how she left it. And on earth, she was a teacher. She was a mother. She was a friend. She was a community leader at her church. She gave smiles to every person that she met just to spread joy in the world. She also believed in her students enough to challenge them and ensure that they were using their full potential and they weren't slacking off. But I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions in the comments below. Do you believe that Jeremy and Willard committed the crime? Do you think that Willard was the ringleader and Jeremy just kind of went along with it? Do you believe they should be treated as adults and have the possibility of no parole? Or do you think with them being 16 years old, there's still hope for them? Let me know in the comments below what you guys think. But yes, that is all from me. And as always, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I will see you guys next week. Bye.